Hi, I'm Jeff, lead pastor of Northview Community Church in Abbotsford, British Columbia. And this podcast is where I get a chance to interview people about things that I'm interested in and talk about whatever I want to talk about. Welcome back to another pre-conversation conversation. I am Levi, the producer, joined, as always, through the plexiglass. That would have been a good podcast name. Through the yeah, actually it would be. We actually so for those of you who don't know, we have a big table here, and between us is a is an old piece of plexiglass mm-hmm. that has been fashioned into a, a barrier, mm-hmm. so we can see each other, but we can't uh, spit on each other. No, there's no spitting mm-hmm. on each other, which I think we're both thankful for. Yeah, even if there was not COVID here, I would still appreciate not the spitting. Yeah. Do you think the plexiglass is going to stay for everything? Uh, I think it depends. Like if we have like people that are really hostile towards each other on the podcast, it might be effective. Well, no, that's just here. Like when you go to the bank oh. or you go and you order food at Popeye's, hmm. do you think we're going to... Which, by the way, I can't understand people when they're talking behind a mask and a face shield and a plexiglass th- thing. I don't care if you are you speak the best English in the world. I still can't hear you and understand you. Mm-hmm. So I always find myself turning my head sideways and putting my ear around the plexiglass <laughs> and uh, and hearing what it is that they say, which is funny because I think that happens a lot. The, the people behind the counter are like, oh, you can't hear me either. So mm-hmm. they move on the side of the plexiglass and talk directly at you. And you're like, so, yeah, I'm not sure the plexiglass is helping much. I had a face shield that I fitted around my glasses when face shields were still allowed. And I much preferred that to a mask. It fitted around your glasses. Like I put, I drilled holes in it and it sat on the arms. What? I had a shield in that front of it. That is amazing. Yeah, my wife didn't like it when I wore it out in public though. So, because I kind of looked like a stupid astronaut. <laughs> <laughs> okay, I want to talk to you about a tweet that I thought was funny uh, and one that kind of relates to you in a great extent and to me in a lesser extent. Okay. I'm not like technically a pastor. Okay. Uh, there's a guy who tweeted... If your pastor can't operate a chop saw effectively, don't expect him to confront sin effectively. Yes. Initial thoughts. Yes. Well, my initial thought is uh, I don't know what a chop saw is. (laughs) So I immediately am not capable of confronting sin effectively. Hmm. What is a chop saw? Uh, It's uh, one of the saws that is on it. It's got a hinge at the back and you kind of... Oh, that's what they call a chop saw. Yep, because it kind of chops. Yeah, I would never, I would never have done that. But how hard is it to have to... To use a chop saw. Now you told me about it. You push the button and you lift it up and then the wood comes through and you hit it. You push it down. Yep. So this it's a, that's silly. So anyone can confront sin Basically, that's the argument. I really don't think that's the argument he was trying to Oh, make. it's his argument that you need to be, you know, exact and careful and I don't know. He had, some, he had some very long development of this I metaphor bet he did. under this tweet. This but particular person has way too much time on their hands. Right. Now, if is, he's a pastor, he should stop trying to develop the chop saw in analogy. Unless he's bivocational. Right. And is also doing woodworking. On <laughs> that's right. And this is just Maybe that's where he got it from. He was mm. sitting there doing operating a chop saw and thinking to himself, you know, this is a this is a lovely analogy for for pastoral ministry. 
and let me develop that argument and share it with people. Hmm. There was a book number. Do you remember the Purpose Driven Life? Rick Warren. The, yeah, but there was a guy who wrote a kind of a spoof called the Porpoise Driven Life, <laughs> and in it he basically compared uh, life following Jesus to to a to porpoises and things that had to do with porpoises. <laughs> <laughs> so it was like an analogy. Yeah. The porpoise. So. There's a whole cottage industry in Christianity for that kind of stuff, right? Here's this analogy I came up with in a sermon or heard, and now I'm going to take it and carry it through mm-hmm. and write a book about it. Well, yeah, when this is also the way that people get a lot of uh, like parable interpretations wrong, is that they take a metaphor and stretch it too far and yeah. apply a bunch of meanings to aspects of it mm. that probably shouldn't be applied. That's good. That's a good pastoral statement. You probably can operate a chop saw. I can use a chop saw. Whoa. Yeah. Well, there you go. So I can confront sin. <laughs> so anyways, I just thought that was funny. You've talked about not liking working with power tools before. No, I so. don't like power tools. Well, it, I probably would like working with power tools. I just don't exactly know what to do with them. Right. Yeah. But you know how to confront My son sin. bought a drill the other day Okay. with me. He was at the store and said, Dad, we need a drill. And I was like, yeah, we probably do. Mm-hmm. And I said, so when you mean a, when you mean a drill... <laughs> like you, what do you mean? And he's <laughs> told me the one that it's like a gun and it's got the spinning the bit, spinning bit and the top. And I was like, yeah, I, I imagine that's useful for stuff. It's quicker than a screwdriver. So that's what he said. Mm-hmm. It's faster than a screwdriver. <laughs> so it's like, and he said, you can also put other stuff in the top and drill holes in things. And I was like, Oh, that sounds like something I would do. <laughs> so, well, I'm very glad you have the ability to do that with a powered device now. Yeah. That's good. Uh, I also wanted to hear your thoughts on uh, another very prominent Christian, much like yourself, Tim Tebow. Yeah, me and Tebow. <laughs> you and Timmy. Uh, he's, the rumor has it, he's making a comeback. Yeah. His old college to, coach got hired in the NFL. And he wants to bring him along as a tight, tight end. end. Yeah. Which is kind of a put down to every tight end anywhere, isn't it? It's basically <laughs> like, here's a guy who's been playing baseball for the last number of years and has never played tight end before, but... Mm-hmm. I'll be, I'll just be a tight end. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, uh, but maybe that's the case. He's a big guy. Yeah. Although I think he's a big guy and, and not a, like, tight ends are usually 6'8 or right. something. A little, a little more lengthy and lean. Yeah, so I think that he's 6'2 uh, he's or something, which is not short, but not tall for the... For football, yeah. Are you were you a big Tebow fan when he was uh, playing for the dude, Broncos? Dude, I think Tim Tebow is a good dude. Yeah, he's he is willing to hold hold the line in his uh, commitments to Christ and to what what is true, and and he's not afraid to to speak openly about it. And he kind of backs it up with a kindness. Like there's a lot of people who who might make fun of him at a distance. But it sounds like everybody who knows him is like, he's a real deal. Mm-hmm. Like, he's a really good guy. I know that when he was playing baseball, he was a double, in a double A baseball. And apparently he was like totally just one of the guys mm. and didn't ever seek any kind of special treatment or, or anything like that. And people just really loved being around him. They were friends of his and enjoyed yeah. getting to know him. Yeah, there's a human trafficking organization he's involved with that got a big, well, old, big old grant. To, oh, that to way. fight human trafficking. Okay, because I thought you were. No, no, no. I was the other not, way. That I was been, not breaking news. I guess on this he's not podcast. a good guy. No, 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 no. <laughs> I wanted to say he's a well-rounded philanthropist. Yes, he is. Yeah. And always good to see a nice guy get a chance. Yeah. Cool. Uh, For a guy like you, that must bring hope. Yeah. Right? Because you're like I have a really nice. You're very just rice. like Tim Tebow. <laughs> uh, yeah. Well, take it. If you just 
squint a lot. Yep. And, uh, and <laughs> no, you're not anything like no, Tim Tebow. Not a, I'm also not left-handed. Oh, okay. There. Well, this has been fun. This is good. Uh, Jeff had a conversation with Bob Youssef, who's a, a Christian guy who's been involved in our church for a long time, about uh, his testimony, his life story, what he's doing in the world of counseling right now, uh, especially during COVID times. So uh, we think that'll be a really valuable conversation for you to tune into. I'm here with Bob Youssef, Robert Youssef. It's not Robert? No. It's Bob, just Bob. Uh, well, it's a nickname. Okay. Because, and I can tell you. What's it's your actual name? Beher Wasfi Fahmi Yusuf. Okay. Yeah. I'm not going to try to do that. <laughs> That's okay. Bob. It's the reason why Bob exists <laughs> is because many tried to do that and failed yeah. when I came to Canada. Yeah. And it went sideways. So. Bob, you are a psychologist and you work here in uh, in in BC and especially in Abbotsford and mm -hmm. you've been doing it for how long? How long? Uh, I've been doing it since 08. So that's when I graduated uh, my master's degree okay. in counseling psych. Yeah. So I actually want to talk to you. You've got a really fascinating background. Bob, Where? Yeah, I want you to tell people where you're from and sure. uh, then we will go from there. Where are you from? Kind of how you came to faith in Christ and mm -hmm. ultimately, uh, yeah, why are you here as opposed to there? Yeah, no, I... Uh, yeah, I can give you a little bit of that and um, go into more depth if uh, if it's uh, yeah if it's of interest. I uh, I grew up in Alexandria. I was born um, in Egypt, Virginia, uh, in Alexandria, Egypt. Oh, um, the real one. Yeah, the real the real <laughs> Alexandria. Yes. Um, yeah. So I I was uh, I was there until I was nine years old. Um, I was born uh, in. In in my I, every time I tell my story, it's always an interesting kind of uh, I call it like a cocktail of traditions um, in in our faith because I was born to uh, a mom whose her whose mom is a Coptic Orthodox and her dad uh, was a pen, was a Presbyterian elder um, in a Presbyterian church in in, in Alexandria. And my dad's side is all Pentecostal. So I grew up in a house where the Coptic tradition, as well as the Presbyterian and the Pentecostal tradition were all represented, um, which was amazing. And, and my parents, my parents were in, in my, when I look back now as an adult, I feel were exemplary in actually letting those coexist without it being attention. It was actually they would joke about the different nuances between those traditions and, you know, um, make fun of each other, you know, in light, but in love as well. And so my brother and I grew up in a world where we felt like those, all of those have amazing things to offer. And I never, I never felt like one thing was less or more than the other, um, which was really cool, you know, growing up in, a, in that kind of a rich space. So, um, so that's a little bit of like the Christian, you know, context in which I grew up. Uh, and did you guys attend church? Yeah, we did. So which we, one? we went to the Presbyterian church, but we went to meetings in, um, Pentecostal churches. Like I would go with my dad or our family would go a lot of times. And then I would also go to different services in the Coptic church, uh, with my mom and my, my grandma. So, 
I mean, the the weekly experience was mostly the Presbyterian Church, but I had exposure to the others. So you're a, a presbycoptalist. <laughs> yeah, that's a good word. I love it. You. See what I did there? Yeah. yeah. <laughs> that was awesome. And I've never put those all together. Oh, this is the first time <laughs> yeah, ever. Yeah, <laughs> That is a weird mix, though. I don't know how many people would be would fit into that category. Yeah, and I often, when I talk about it, I I do, and I reflect. I think you know, I was able to learn so much in that kind of environment, yeah. Um, which I think just has helped me in, in my own faith, you know. Yeah. Um, so, so that th- that's kind of the the context. Is there a large Christian community in Egypt? There is a lar- large Christian community by number, but small by percentage. So, um, tell people a lot of people don't wouldn't know. I mean, what what the uh, cultural and and religious makeup is of uh, Egypt. So maybe you could just tell them. Yeah. So uh, Egypt is predominantly Muslim. About ninety five percent of the population um, would be either practicing or declaring Muslim as their faith, um, and about five percent or so would be um, the the Christian tradition. Now, within that, there's still a split because there's a large portion of the population in the Christian tradition that's Coptic Orthodox, and the, the rest is evangelical. So there's there's also kind of this kind of half and half yeah. mixture. So um, the, the uh, what's it, li- I mean, what's it like being a, a Christian growing up in a 95% Muslim nation? Yeah, it, it, my experience, so I was there till I was nine and you know, from what I observed and things I even heard from my parents um, and some personal experience too. Um, it, Egypt is an interesting place because the, the Egyptian um, the Egyptian culture and perspective is actually quite accommodating when you think of, when you have 95% of the population being Muslim and then you you would imagine what that would do in terms of how Muslims would treat Christians and, you know, whether you could worship freely and all of that. Um, But the Egyptian tradition has historically been, hey, Christians have a, they can worship, you can have churches, uh, you can go to church services, uh, and that's all good. And, And actually, you know, even growing up, so many of our neighbors were Muslims, of course, and we had good relationships with people. So is that unique, like for uh, in the Middle East? Is that something you know? I, I think in in when you when I compare to other parts of the Middle East, I think there is a uniqueness to that. Like I, I'll you take you even take like in 2010 when all of the the uprisings kind of started to happen in that area of the world. Like Egypt was one of the first and one of the most peaceful, hmm. and I always actually was quite proud of that because Egyptians. Are, just the nature of Egyptians generally is not to like, okay, pick up arms and let's fight against each other. It was just really, it, it was that actual peaceful uprising and Mubarak ended up leaving, but it didn't result in the same level of conflict that existed everywhere else. And it's a bit of an indicator. Like, so you grow up in a, you grow up in an environment where there is this animosity and tension between two faiths that have a historic animosity and tension and yet people were able to coexist. So on the ground, it's a little different. Yeah. I mean, now, we think about it in political terms and stuff, and we're like, oh, ever, they must all hate each other. But that's y- usually just the extremes. It's not the case. There are po- pockets and parts of the country where you see that, where there is extremism, like in Upper Egypt, for sure, in smaller villages and stuff like that. There's definitely there's situations where churches are being burned and you know people are getting killed, and you know, that happens. Yeah. But I mean, I grew up in a pretty large city, 
and you just didn't see that in like an Alexandria or a Cairo to the same degree. No, that's sure. something I, as an American, I, I've often, I get frustrated with because of the, the news media ends up portraying, of course they do, they want to get viewers and stuff, so totally. they end up portraying uh, any kind of animosity between groups way bigger. So like, I, you know, when I lived in the States and even, even family now who lives there, I mean, if you mm-hmm. ask them, is like, oh, Democrats and Republicans hate each other and stuff? And they're like, no. No, my neighbors are that way. I mean, we might not agree on politics and totally. stuff. We don't, just don't talk about it that much. Yeah, yeah. Do you know, we you, you coexist and you get to know people and you play soccer with the same people exactly. and stuff. And so it's, uh, yeah, people have a way of getting along with one another. Yeah, yeah. Um, how come you came to Canada? Yeah, so my, while, while you know, when you, when I think about the the environment as I was just describing yeah people generally get along you know it's not it's not like conflict every day but there is there, there is a systemic issue in Egypt where yeah you know, Christians don't necessarily get promoted to the same degree as Muslims do and you your last name gives you away like it's not like you declare I'm a Christian you know it's easy generally to know <laughs> whether you are or you're not Yusuf is a Christian name. Uh, Yusuf is a, it tends to be more Christian okay. than than Muslim like. Because a lot of the a lot of the Muslim names like Muhammad and Ahmed and like some of the some of the combination of names also kind of can give away your faith. Not not obviously not every not all the time, but often it does. And so you get you get uh, sidestepped or overlooked, and the future for you tends to not necessarily be as bright. And um, so our family. Our family has an interesting history because one of the probably one of the main influencers in our family's history is that there was a missionary that was um, that came to Egypt, um, an American missionary. Uh, her name was Mabel Dean. Um, she connected with our family, like my grandmother um, on my dad's side, and uh, r- really had a, a pretty profound influence on my grandmother and my eldest aunt um, on my dad's side developed a great relationship like and and I think as a result there became this um, connection to North America and the possibility of maybe one day coming here and um, and so as time passed my uncle my my oldest uncle uh, decided that he was gonna go and try and move to Canada he came to Toronto and that kind of started the migration, so to speak, of our family. So he came to Toronto and then my eldest aunt came with, and then after that, two sisters of my dad. So how many people in your family now live in Canada? Uh, every, so on my dad's side, uh, all of his siblings are here except for one. Wow. And on my mom's side, uh, actually only one sibling is here. Okay. One has passed away. One is in Egypt. Um, uh, two are in Egypt and one has passed, right. oh, passed away. So you, you're in BC though. You're yeah. not in Toronto. Yeah, so my parents came. So my dad was very close to this eldest uncle. So when, when my dad, my dad tried, like in 1977, he applied to come here, got accepted actually. And my mom was like, I'm not ready to go. Hmm. Um, I said, I mean, it's, yeah. it's, it's departure from everything yeah. you've ever known. It's, and it's starting new and she, they, they knew what it would mean. But my dad and did. And cold. Right, brother. Yes, yeah, very cold, my right? man. I, Alexandria uh, to uh, to Toronto. Not a chance. Not a well-worn path. No, no, no. And I didn't. I'm telling you. I mean, I wasn't born yet, but I I would not have picked that. But he came in 1977 when he got accepted. My mom, my mom said no. 
Then uh, the window closed because after six months you have to reapply. Then a year or two later, my dad started to reapply and got denied and denied and denied year after year until 1987. Oh, wow. And then he got accepted. And then he's like, we're leaving, you know, we're going. So then he came, uh, he did want, he went to see his brother, but my dad, partly for the cold, but partly because he couldn't find anything in Toronto. He came to Vancouver because his sister, his three sisters were here. Right. So he's, he wanted to be close to his brother, but he's like, you know what, I'll go to Vancouver and see. And then he came here and both of them found work. And so we settled in Surrey uh, and and him and three of his siblings were here. So we kind of had a bit of a clan here and uh, a bit of a smaller community and got started. And then a bunch of people came after. So as a, as a Middle Eastern man uh, living in in this area, what have you experienced? What are the highs and lows of, of that? Has it been... I mean, well, that's a good question. I, I, you know, I, I've had, I've also, I would say I've had a bit of an interesting experience. You know, I, I've, I've been on the receiving end of what I would call subtle racism. Like I've, I've seen windows of it where you're somewhere and clearly, you know, you should have been, you know, ahead of somebody like in line and it, you can tell pretty quickly that you're not going to get served first. Hmm. And, and I can only conclude that it's because of the way I look. Like, hmm. like there's no other reason that I could tell that that would happen. Um, but by and large, I have, I have always felt really well treated. Like I, I, it's very, it's, that's a rare experience for me. Like my predominant experience here in the lower mainland in general, like, you know, in, in Surrey, you know, I went to school in Vancouver, you know, I went, I went to school in Langley and I came to Abbotsford and work and live here. And in all the communities I've lived in, in the lower mainland, I, I've, I have to say, I had never felt like, oh my goodness, there's a target on my back. Or, yeah. Um, so that's been, that, that's been actually really, you know, comforting because I, and maybe it's unique, but I can't really say that I've had just really, really difficult. When I was, a, when we came, because when I came to Canada, my brother and I didn't speak a word of English. I only spoke Arabic and my parents were smart enough to put me in school in French, in a French school in Egypt. So I knew French. Hmm. So we came to, we, we got enrolled in an all French school here. And so I was able to use French to communicate and I have a twin brother. And so I had a best friend built into my life. I didn't have to look for friends. And I think that made a huge difference in yeah. my life because I didn't have to communicate with anybody if I didn't want to. Um, but people did tease us and, yeah, of course. We, and we experienced that. And I'm not saying of course, I'm justifying uh, yeah, it. But that's, as kids. Yeah. And, and you know, we, uh, I have a story my, my brother did fight back one time and, okay. and it, uh, did it, it work? Oh, it, it changed the course. Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah, we were. Do you want to hear? I don't yeah, know. Yeah, of course I want to hear the fight story. Are you kidding me? <laughs> we we, uh, we were in the we were in the bus on our way home, um, and uh, my brother and I were sitting next to each other um, in one bench, and I was sitting uh, on the aisle side, and he was sitting on the window side, and right across from us there is this kid that was sitting, uh, and he was mouthing off, and, and you can tell like. Mm -hmm. And actually, we didn't understand most of what he said because... Which is helpful. Which was good because <laughs> I, I, I couldn't speak English. So yeah. the joke was on him a little bit. 
Um, but he was mouthing off and people were laughing and he could, I, we could tell he was making fun of us. And so my brother leans over to me and he's like, we need to tr- switch seats. And I'm like, Sam, that's a bad idea. Like, I, I really wouldn't do it. He's like, just switch seats with me. I said, Sam, please, like, we're in a bus, like, we don't need problems. He's like, just switch seats with me. He was my older brother by five minutes, so, you know. In you Egypt- do what he says. In Egyptian culture, I, I got I to gotta defer to my eldest, so, okay, we moved seats. All right, the, Esau, this, sit the, over there. Yeah, <laughs> this kid just keeps slipping off. And so Sam jumps over to the bench with, with the other kid and just sucker punches him right in the face. <laughs> just one knock. The kid, like his, he starts bleeding, of course, wait, like just starts crying. And, uh, and there's, see, there's a, a bit of a scene in the bus. Yeah, um, I imagine. The bus driver stops the bus, comes back. He's yelling at us. I still yeah, don't, under- like, I don't I understand, still don't understand anything you're, he's you're probably saying. saying. Good for you. <laughs> Maybe. Yeah, Get I don't, a jerk. I don't know what he was saying. But um, then... Then we get home. Okay, my brother and I get out of the, the bus. The bus driver talks to our mom. We're, we're in tears. We're like, we, we just know we're probably in big trouble. Yeah. Um, lo- long story short, you know, and it's actually a good example of one of the experiences in my life that actually was really positive in an, in an interesting way because my, mo- my mom, and if you know my mom, she's, she's tenacious and she's a fighter. Um, so she called the principal the next day and said, listen, you know, we just, we just came here to this country. And the last thing I need is for my kids to be bullied just because they're different. Um, this kid was clearly doing that in the bus. I no excuse for my kid's behavior, but it's just unacceptable. Like, there's got to be consequence if, if you're going to do that kind of thing to someone who doesn't understand the language yep. and is trying to make a new life here. Like... Yeah, it's not cool, and I have to give credit to the the principal called my brother and I and this other kid to the to the office. We had someone translate for us. Like I remember that day because I I had to have somebody explain to me what was happening, hmm. and she ended up ex, like suspending him. He got a, he got he had to be out of school for a week. Wow, and your brother got a trophy. And we and nothing happened oh. to us, <laughs> and we kept going to school. And from that day forward, that kid sees the two of us. He ran the other right, way. Right, man. Look at you. That's right. Everybody ran the other way. <laughs> so it was crazy. You guys <laughs> formed your own little little prison gang. <laughs> which is which is I, the irony of all of that is that there's just it's not my brother's nature, and and like my brother yeah. and I are not like that's not what no. even our even interesting like our history became. It's not like you did that and you think oh, okay, well force is the thing that's yeah. We're not we're not advocating that. At all. Just <laughs> settle down. Every teasing out there right now is like, <laughs> what are you talking about? Um, but Bob, you uh, you have become a, a, a counselor. You've become mm-hmm. a psychologist. Why are you a psychologist? Yeah, that I do give a bit of that and influenced probably more to my mom than anybody else. Um, I grew up in our home growing up. One of the things I remember very vividly is... It was the house where people came um, and got to feel heard. You know, I I grew up hearing my mom and dad being a a place of safety, you know, a place of of refuge for people that just were having issues, whether it was in their personal life or at the church or or 
or anything like that. And I, I've thought of, I thought about it a lot growing up and just seeing the impact that that had, you know, recognizing that there's a real power in being able to sit with people in the hard and actually allow them to have space to tell you what's hard and to, to experience love and understanding and a listening ear and maybe some advice uh, or maybe some input and in a loving and caring way in, in a non-judgmental, you know, non come down on you hard. And, um, and that had a really deep impact on me because I saw the benefit and the, and the, and the incredible outcomes that came from that. But I also very strongly feel like I, I, so I saw that, but I also feel like as I was growing up, I was realizing that some of that ability, I, I think God also gave me, you know, that there's a natural tendency to be curious about what was going on for people and a sensitivity to that. So by grade 11 or so uh, in my uh, educational kind of career, I realized that psychology was going to be a part of my future well, in some way or another. So you pursued it pretty yeah, much directly yeah. after that. I knew, I knew that I wanted to do something in that field. Mm -hmm. And so I knew that probably the first step was to get a bachelor's degree in psych and, and yeah. see how I felt. And, um, and I, I walked in, I went to Trinity to do that and uh, had a great experience. So Bob, let's talk mental health. Let's talk mental health. <laughs> well, I mean, there's like on the upside, it seems like mental health, something that people uh, are willing to acknowledge now that maybe they didn't before. I mm -hmm. mean, as somebody personally who has a, his own struggles with, with mental health and I have to be pretty, I have to be pretty deliberate with medication and some other things. Mm -hmm. um, I'm thankful that we live in a day where people don't just, you know, I, I, they do still think you just need to sort it out. But I'm thankful that there's kind of just this, cultural awareness that uh, maybe you can't just sort it out. Maybe it's a little more like diabetes or something for some people, right? Yep. And then the other people just have, mo they have moments. We all have moments in our lives totally. where we just go, get into, into the sewer and we can't feel like we can't mm -hmm. get out of it. Um, I imagine that recently though, mental health has gone like taken a huge hit and I'm not trying to argue for one approach or not approach to the COVID stuff. I'm just saying... I don't think I've ever come across so many people who are struggling with like life and hope and future and with present and stuff. Has that been your experience? I mean, you've, you counseling people all the time. What kinds of things are you seeing? Yeah. Yeah. I mean, it that definitely is my experience. Um, as, as this pandemic has kind of gone on, what's, what's become clear. I mean, I experienced it even personally is that there were probably some people that had enough resiliency that they could withstand the first little bit of it. You know, okay, I can, I can handle, I have enough in the bank to withstand, you know, some of the restrictions and isolation and what that kind of comes with. Um, but what I've seen as it's gone on is that even the most resilient are at the point where I, I don't, it's very difficult now to manage in this kind of an environment. Um, and so I've absolutely seen the, the dramatic increase of not just the, the types of issues that you see, but the degree to which they exist now. Because one of the problems, I mean, in counseling, in, in the last little while, one of the most common issues I see is that people are saying, you know, I actually have some tools I can use to cope with what's going on, Ugh. but I cannot access them. Yep. I can't do them. Yep. And so you and I can talk 
and I can feel heard here. But any and a lot of the activities that we often, so just the simple example is going to the gym. Well, if you can't physically go to the gym and it's, I mean, some people are okay running in January. Good for you. (laughs) But that's actually not the predominant thing, you know, even though we live in, in Canada. But the reality is when people don't have access to certain things that are actually really helpful to them. Yeah, the endorphins and stuff like it, help. It, and it's they, it's know. it's dramatic, and, and so, then it's hard when you get down into it. That you're like, yeah, I mean, I know what it's like when you're sitting around all the time. Your body doesn't. I mean, you, yeah. like the energy to get up and go out. It's not. You know, it's a habit type thing. And the more you do it, the absolutely more e- the easier it is to do. And and one of the one of the other very very challenging things that I'm seeing is is the impact of real real human to human isolation. It's one thing to, we have all gotten used to the video stuff and having to just navigate and do the best we can with that. But I mean, I do really very strongly believe that we're made for relationship and connection in person, right? not, not virtual. Um, and so when people are um, denied that, and in very dramatic ways, like people that haven't hugged their grandchildren for over a year, for example, or uh, people that haven't been able to see loved ones over a year. I mean, I don't. I mean, my wife is American. She she was born in Chicago. Good for you. Yeah, thanks. I picked right. Um, she grew up in Seattle most of her life, and and so we were used to. And and I think you maybe experienced something similar. Like her mom's in Seattle, her sister's in Seattle. Yeah. We would go once a month. Yeah. On average, and to not be able to do that for the last year has been significant for her. Um, so things like that, I think has been, has really weighed on people. Um, and you know, I, I've, I've told so many of my clients, you know, one of the, one of the privileges, it's small, very small for me, but the privilege I have is that at least I can, somebody can walk the journey a little bit with you mm-hmm. through the hard and even being able to spend some time and just cry with clients and mm-hmm. just tell them that they're totally normal, you know? what you're experiencing, you're not crazy. <laughs> you know, it, it makes sense. Is that oh. the advice that you give to me if I came to you and said, Bob, uh, this is crazy and I, I, I feel lost and under this massive burden and I get up every morning and I don't have the energy that I had and what, advise me. <laughs> what would you, I mean, generally though, what no, would you tell people I, in this pandemic? What kinds of things could they do? What kinds of ways, you know, are there strategies that they could have that help? Yeah, so I... You know, I, I, I've wrestled with that, um, for the last number of months and, uh, and I'll, in, in, not necessarily in a particular order, but I'll, I'll tell you some of the things that really have popped up and either I found to be helpful or clients have found to be helpful. Um, you know, and I, and I don't pick this one first, you know, out of any desire to, to just use it as some, you know, not, not that it's a cop out, but it's an obvious one, but I think it's actually really profound. So I've, I've talked to so, so many of my clients about their time with God, you know, th- that existed before the pandemic and your connection with God had nothing to do with being on video, had nothing to do with, uh, a- anything, you know, you, if you were diligent in your own, um, connection with him, that's something that you can keep doing. And he is the almighty and he is a source of hope and a source of comfort and a source of peace in our life, whatever the storm. 
Um, and so I've, I've found that with so many of my clients, what it's tested is the truth of how seriously do I take that relationship? Hmm. Am I actually, am I actually into it or have I been actually just going through motions, going to church? And I mean, I'll tell you, I was so impacted by the lack of church personally. And when Me we, too. and when we were, I can only imagine. And I remember I told Carissa, like the first time that we opened again and we were able to come into the sanctuary with all the wow. stuff. I left that day and I said, we have to be here every Sunday, no matter the cost. Mm-hmm. And until if, if they shut it down, they shut it down. But it was, it was like being in the desert for so long and finding like a huge cup of water. And you're like, oh, oh my gosh, I had no idea how much I missed this. But if you did that and you, that was the thing you, you only leaned on for your relationship with Christ and you weren't doing other stuff, I have found in the last while a lot of clients, it's just been a real good reminder of what does my actual bond with Jesus look like every day? Hmm. Because if I don't have that, it, it, it Anything can, anything can happen anytime. This time it's the pandemic. It's going to be something else in your life that could take you away, but you need to actually lean into that relationship because it actually matters and yeah. it makes a difference. Um, so time with God and, and the nurturing of our faith has been one, and that's a real thing. Uh, I've, I've encouraged a lot of, of my clients to, um, to also, even though it's not human-to-human connection, to maintain their network. So one of the things that does happen in, in this environment is we we can eat we can easily like hermit and say, okay, well if I can't see anybody and it's not the same as it used to be, then maybe I'll just I'm, I will isolate and we can kind of draw into ourselves and unintentionally create this isolation. And then we we do wake up, start to wake up in the morning and say, oh my goodness, I, I'm so weighed down mm. and I don't have, I don't have support, but we have been cut off from each other in many ways, but we can still connect. Like I, I so I, and I, and I've told some of my clients because I grew up in an environment, especially early on in my time here in Canada, where the only time we can connect with people in Egypt was through the phone. Yeah. You had to call and you had to pay for it, like a lot of money, but we did it because it allowed us to maintain connection with our family. Um, and at the time in the absence of the virtual stuff that we actually have access to now, it actually made a difference. Now, of course we weren't in a pandemic back then, but the principle yep. still applies. Like reach out to the people that are close to you, continue to make connections and maintain them because they actually can make a difference. It's not the same difference as when you can see them in person, but it actually can have an impact. Um, and I, the other, the other, um, the other thing I've encouraged people to think about is to is to find find hobbies that they can do um, that don't necessarily require other people. You know, like I have a couple of friends that have just taken up just working with their hands, like woodworking. You know, it it, it it's my wife told me that I should take up some hobby during this. <laughs> she said, "Why don't you do the gardening?" Again? I used to when I was living in New Zealand, I just redesigned our whole garden. I said, "You know what? No way, never." <laughs> I'm never, ever doing that ever again. She's like, but you get, you're around the house all the time. Why don't you learn how to fix stuff? <laughs> I was like, no, no, yeah. I suck at it. So I picked up, I, I'm playing some stupid video game. Yeah. <laughs> but, but you know, I like, so I've done something similar. Like I, I will, I'll do something. 
yes, it might be mindless or, or it might be engaging either yeah. way, but it is a way to to do something different that uh, that can either take up some time or give you a chance to um, uh, uh, distract is the wrong word, but some and I'll think of a better word, but something that gives you another outlet. Yeah. Um, and that that have a lot of clients have found really helpful yeah. too. Do you know, uh, I don't know if you know this, but there's a, the sale of bicycles has gone through the roof has, in the yeah. last while. Like you can't, it's very difficult to find. If you go into a shop, you're like, hey, can I buy that bike? They're just going to like a month before you can get That's one. That's right. Because people I think have been trying to figure out what can I, what can I do that mm. is, you know, safe, roughly safe in the, in the approach, uh, you know, like with now people around and stuff. And so mm-hmm. cycling has been that it's been a life, honestly, cycling has been like a life giving to me for you. Oh, cool. I Thanks. mean, I've, yeah, I did it before, but I don't know how in the world I'd, I'd manage. I actually get, have to get to the point where I schedule out my day pretty mm-hmm. carefully. Of course I, I've struggled with mental health before. And so mm-hmm. I have some medication and stuff that I have to take at different times, but it also, I have to make sure that I, you know, exercise a certain amount, get the endorphins in my mind. Or I tend to get down, you know, I yeah. tend to, to go down the drain pretty quickly. Bob, uh, our time's basically almost up. So oh. I told you that you needed to ask me a question because this is all about me, Bob. Okay. Bob, well, you know all what? of this I'm was introduction <laughs> and now's the real part. How's <laughs> the real? So here's, here's, I actually thought of two questions. One, I don't know if we can fully... Why is it that I ask people to give me one question and, I, and they always have two? Yeah, what I'm is sorry, that? I, I don't always follow edge. instruction. Um, so the, the, one that, the one that I'll tell you both and you can answer whichever one you like. Okay. Okay. So my first one was, I did want to interested to have a conversation and dialogue about your perspective on the interplay between psychology and theology. Mm. And the reason I wanted to ask that is because as a, part of my story, as I was considering doing psych was people telling me like counseling is not to be in the Christian world. Like <laughs> psychology is not the field that a, really? a Christian should go into. That, Do you that, know what suke tro- is in Greek? Suke? Suke is the soul. Yeah. So I, God I, made the soul. So right. <laughs> you're a soul worker. But it's an interesting, it was an interesting experience, you know, in my yeah. early adult life. Yeah. So I wanted to, I wanted you to answer that question. Okay. And then I'm going to, because I'm fascinated. Uh, Yeah. Look, I believe that all truth is God's truth, Hmm. right? So uh, the idea that the only thing that God's interested in is the prayer and biblical, the Bible stuff, right, is is crazy. Hmm. That God is, if if someone like Freud discovers something that's true, that's not Freud's truth. That's a discovery of God's truth. Amen. Um, So... Should we listen to Freud or call Carl Jung or Rogers or whatever? Yeah, sure. We should glean from whomever we can a, a better understanding of what the uh, of what the soul is and mm-hmm. how it functions. And if they don't believe in a soul, they're stupid, right? Because your whole work is with people exactly. with souls. I would I would say though on the flip side that in one of the temptations though in psychology is to end up saying yeah 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 that's right all truth's God's truth and I'm going to do. That and so the, the only thing you listen to is Freud or to Carl Jung or whoever it is that you is your favorite um, psychologist. That so my thing is well, if you believe in a, if I have a, I have a really high view of scripture, I believe the Bible mm-hmm. is inerrant and infallible and it, it you know it, it's it's sufficient for life and faith. I believe that the Bible speaks to the soul. Um, the thing counselors deal with, quite honestly, is the gap that exists between hey, here's what the scriptures teach about here's where you're struggling. Why? 
like what is going on in the in between there? Like what's causing you in your mind to not realize that the gospel's true or not realize mm-hmm. that you've made in the image of God or not really That's right? It. And so the work that a psychologist does is in in my opinion uh remarkable because they're trying to work with okay, how does your fallen soul <laughs> right? How can we get it to be renewed in Christ ultimately and to to recognize what's true about you and God and the world and those sorts of things so you can experience the peace and joy that comes with that. Yeah. So I don't know, I guess I I I believe strongly probably like you do yeah. that there is uh there's a joining of those sorts Absolutely. of things. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, that's how I, that, very, very much how I see it. And I was just curious. Yeah. Your, I get very frustrated, to be honest with you, when you hear people talk about how psychology is. Yeah, I mean, like I, I do too. <laughs> I think that's a problem, though, that, that some pastors have. And I just think it's, again, I think it's a, maybe what we'd call a sacred secular split. That, mm. that in other words, there's certain things that are that are the godly and things that are not. But I, I hear the same thing with people who talk about sports and stuff. You know, I right. you sports, you shouldn't go play uh, baseball. You shouldn't go play basketball or go right. cycling. Yeah. You should be praying. And I'm like, yeah, but God made me, made me, made me right. physical. That's right. Right? And, and my physicalness, I can worship God in while it. playing the sport right. too. It doesn't mean that I don't pray. I should pray. Of course you're right. Absolutely. Yeah. I should also do the other thing. Yeah. Right, and no, there should sure. not be any demeaning of of those sorts of things. Yeah, yeah. I'm on the same page. I want to just one one thing say, and I, I, I want to tell you that, just as 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 someone who has been involved in 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 many ways in in the well being, you know, individually on an individual basis in, in members of our congregation, um, and because of how I've seen Northview handle this in terms of seeing the value mm. of psychology and how that area of the helping world can make a difference that it's meant a lot to me as a therapist. Um, and I've really appreciated it. Oh, of course. Um, it's all truths, God's truth. Yeah. Theory. And it, and it's, it's profound. You get it. Yeah. It's profound because I think it's, it does have yeah. an impact. Yeah. Um, it's also helpful that I'm, I'm crazy. <laughs> Well, like I have to take crazy pills. No, no. <laughs> so that's helpful. I didn't get to that one. I mean, like you asked pills. about the medication, yeah. but I also want to just say that we're going to miss you, brother. Oh, thanks. Bob. Um, and I when I heard I, w- I was, um, I probably like many people sad and excited, you know, yeah. I, I, I imagined right away that with discernment, you felt like this was mm. the next chapter, next part of, uh, your journey. And, you know, we bless you in that, but, um, it's going to be a big loss for our church, Jeff. Oh. And, um, um, I'll probably still listen to the sermons that you preach oh, over thanks, there, but, um, oh, I'd love that. but we, uh, we're, we're gonna, we're gonna miss your contribution here. Oh, thanks a lot, Bob. Yeah. It's been my pleasure. Yeah. Absolutely. Anyway, thanks so much for being here. You're welcome. Uh, everybody else. We'll see you next time. Thanks for listening to conversations with Jeff. Make sure you subscribe to catch up on all upcoming episodes. So until next time, love God, do what you want, and don't be stupid.